Welcome to the As One Leadership Podcast. My name is Luke Williams and I'm the host I'm from Follow Baptist Church. And today we have a returning guest again, Pastor Graham Can. And we've had you on a couple of episodes uh, talking about conflict and we just loved it so much um, that we wanted to talk to you about another topic, um, a topic that you've also written a book on. And it's a topic of fear. And so you wrote this book here. It's called When the Tiger Roars. And you were just telling me this is your first book you ever wrote. And uh, it's beautifully written. I really, really enjoyed it. So it unpacks the whole idea of um, fear. So I thought I'd just read the foreword because I think it kind of summarizes what you're trying to get at. So let me just read it. It says, why this book? It says, this book is not intended as a self-help book. It is true that for more than 40 years, I've had the priceless privilege of sitting with literally hundreds of people who at the particular time in their lives were faced with a crisis that was impacting on their relational or emotional or psychological health. It takes great courage at such a time to seek help from a counsellor, psychiatrist or psychologist and a high level of trust to allow a stranger into the deepest and sometimes secret places in their lives. I've never taken this privilege for granted, nor have I forgotten how much I've learned from so many people who, in the face of huge personal challenge, have demonstrated amazing determination and fortitude. However, the inspiration from this book came from my awareness of the growing phenomena of violence at all levels of society, and the seemingly unanswerable question that arises for both the victims of violence and for those who seek to engage in primary prevention programs aimed at reducing the prevalence of violence in our societies. What gives some people permission to exact violence on another? In telling the story of Sampa in this book, I'm inviting you, the reader, to explore with me the possibility that the cases of individual aggression and the anger we often see lived out in families and communities may have at their root something that can be identified and addressed. And I think, without spoiling the story, that's fear. Yes. And so that's why we're talking about fear today. So you alluded in that forward something you've observed in society around violence. Um, and I know in our area, it's been in epidemic proportions, mm. domestic violence and stuff that's going on behind closed doors. What is it that you've observed and why do you think it's increased in such a way? Right. J- just prior to writing that book, I had been very heavily involved in two domestic violence um, programs that were run in the city in which I was the pastor. Okay. And um, we were addressing the whole issue of domestic violence and and uh, digging deeper and deeper into understanding some of the dynamics and, and also seeing a great deal of the ignorance in society around domestic violence mm-hmm. and um, blaming things like alcohol or drug addiction or, or whatever when in actual fact it is always a choice, mm. uh, whether it be a man or a woman who is being violent, they they choose to act in that particular way. Yep. It might not feel like a choice, but it is a choice. Mm. Something gives them permission to do that. So I, I decided I would uh, try to explore what that was, and uh, in counselling and um, in various uh, research ways, we, we discovered that the word fear came up all the time. Mm. And uh, even talking to some men in prison who, who had been uh, jailed for domestic violence issues, um, they would talk about being afraid of something being the trigger mm. uh, for the way they acted, the way they did. So their partner was going to leave them or that's right. that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's what really inspired it. But there's also behind everything I write is is trying to – to share what I have honestly learned out of my own journey of life, and uh, and I lived a, 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 a intensely angry life as a teenager, and um, 
street street fighting and boxing and or, or anything where I could hurt somebody else, and um, and that was because of my abuse. But but basically, it's because of the fear that what happened then will happen again mm. uh, any day. A uh, defense mechanism, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. You're you're on alert all the time, mm. and uh, and that alertness is, is a type of fear. Mm. So when when a person is is you know we sometimes describe a person as being touchy mm. uh, or sensitive because they get offended very easily, but it's simply because they are on high alert mm. and they're they're waiting for the words or the actions or the looks that are going to trigger off uh, something painful, yep. or painful behaviour, and so. Yeah. Mm. So a lot of the violence that we see in our society is coming from mm. an underlying fear yeah. Yeah. that yeah. that people may or may not realise. Yes. But when they're talking in jail, they start to talk about why they did it. Yeah. Maybe it comes out yeah. then. But yeah, no, it's really really interesting. So, can you give a summary of the plot of the story you've written? Because it is a beautiful story and it's beautifully written. Um, can you give a summary of the plot to help, right. I guess, the listener today understand some of the main themes of the story? It's an allegory. Um, I, I uh, hesitate to to describe it as a C.S. Lewis type of allegory. I wouldn't put myself in <laughs> in that company, but that is the way it is. It, it's written like that. So it's a it's a place, an imaginary place. It, Sampa is is the name of the place. It's a valley. It's it's um, bounded by a river on one side and a mountain on the other. Uh, it's a very fertile valley and the people who live there, the Sampians, have a belief in the creator God and uh, and fear is not part of their culture at all. They don't have anything to be afraid of. Um, they have the normal things that happen in life, but they've got no enemies uh, and uh, they've got no reason to be afraid of their their life, their peace being being um, uh, uh, affected in any way and um, and that impacts their whole life that impacts their culture it impacts uh, their relationships the way they do relationships and one of the things it does is it gives them a very compassionate view of the world uh, as they know it. Mm. And the only way they really understand the world is that from time to time people come into the valley from somewhere else and they're refugees, if you like, and they come into this valley for, for uh, protection and they adopt them into their village and they become part of their, their village. And uh, many of their leaders have had backgrounds where they've come from outside, mm. but they've been so impacted by this lack of fear that they are living healthy and whole lives. Mm. Over a period of time, um, with the development of the world around them, that begins to change. And, uh, and people come into the village uh, who are impacted by fear and begin to teach fear as the the, as an important thing for protecting you from danger, and um, and so little by little the culture begins to change, and then violence, there's there's acts of violence occur in the valley it's never happened before. Mm. The 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 other aspect of the story, which um, which I, I'm not sure why I went that way, but I'm very pleased I did, was that the leader of each leader down through the centuries in Sampa was called a mother-father. 
Mm. That was they could be a man or a woman, and they were appointed to their position because of their complete lack of fear. Mm. So, so there was fear. This lack of fear was coming from from the very top. Yep. If you compare that with our modern day society, fear comes from the top. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, and every day we've got politicians warning us about some horrendous thing that's going to occur. Mm. Well, they were the exact opposite, which meant that their view of justice was different. Um, their their view of, um, of uh, uh, the reason why somebody might be. Uh, might be um, punished for a crime. It was as much about reformation as it was punishment. Mm. There was just all this came out of this lack of fear. Mm. Uh, and so I was trying to illustrate that most of the things we wrestle with in our society are fear-based. Mm. Mm. So where is Sanford? How can I go and live there? Is that, <laughs> <laughs> they're taking refugees still or not? And, and part of the story is that Sanford actually collapses under this uh, as fear takes over. Mm. And... Um, and they get rid of the the mother father concept, and then eventually um, it just becomes a, a quite a violent place. But then uh, then uh, a group of people bring it back. Mm. Uh, they start to believe in the great creator. They start to believe in uh, in the same principles, and uh, they move to another valley mm. and they set up a, a different community, but based on the same lack of fear. Yep. So it has a happy ending if you're into happy endings. Yeah, of course we are. We all want a happy ending, <laughs> don't we? Yeah, when you go to see a movie and it doesn't end happy, you're like, oh, can I get my money back? That's no good. So that's really good. So obviously you're addressing the topic of fear. You've written other great books that are more like workbooks or just dealing with the topic from a you know intellectual point of view, but you've chosen to do this one as an allegory mm. um, and a story. Why did you choose to do it that way? Oh, I, I, I wrote my first two books were were um, novels. This one was an allegory, and my second book, which is on child sexual abuse, The Guilt Busters, is uh, written as a novel set in Melbourne in the shadow of the the Royal Commission. Okay, yep. and uh, and the reason I wrote both of those is one was dealing with fear, and the other one is doing dealing with a specific area of violence, mm. and and I. Two reasons. One is I don't have enough letters after my name to write a textbook. <laughs> yep. But the, the the other is that that I thought that people were more likely to explore the issues if they could put it in a setting of a story than try and relate to it in just some sort of theoretical way. Yep. Um, so both of those have worked quite well, and uh, so that's all the reason I did it. Yeah, oh, very good. So the story starts with idyllic situation at Sampa. Uh, there's a great sense of harmony, unity, and love, mm. even embracing people that are different and not treating them any lesser than or more than kind of thing. But it does, over time, disintegrate into division, greed, fighting, and tension. So we talked a little bit about the role of fear um, and what it plays in that story. But how does this relate to us, do you think, today? I, 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 think, I think there are t two things that are really important here. One is from a biblical perspective. If you, you look at scripture, you will find that there are two primary negative emotions, painful emotions, referred to right in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis um, when the story of the fall is told. 
And uh, Adam and Eve went into the garden and hid. Mm. And when God asked them why they were hiding, they said, we are ashamed and we're afraid. Mm. So fear and shame or fear and guilt are, are the two primary emotions. And then out of those emotions come all the others. Mm. Um, a little fox terrier in, in your front yard uh, will bark viciously at the at the Alsatian on the other side of the fence. Yep. Um, not because uh, not because uh, he's angry at the dog, but he's afraid of him. Mm. And so he can afford to to sound angry because there's a fence between them. <laughs> yep. Um, and a lot of our anger is just like that. Mm. Um, it turns into either aggression or withdrawal. And I try to illustrate that in the book that some people, um, when they began to deal with fear for the first time, uh, some of them became very aggressive, very controlling, and some of them became very afraid and very withdrawn as a result of that. Yep. Um, and um, that's what's happening in our society today. We, we, we talk about depression and anxiety as being the two primary illnesses, emotional illnesses in 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 our society today, and and in fact, some some experts say that they will be the greatest cause of death in the future. Mm. Uh, so they expect it to be an increasing problem. Well, anxiety um, is a type of fear, mm. um, and obviously has its roots in fear. And um, and um, shame or guilt, it lies at the very basis of things like depression. Mm. So, and and even anger can lie at the root of depression. Mm. For instance, uh, um, one of the questions I would often ask a person if I was counselling them in their depression would be, "What are you mad at? Mm. You know, who are you angry at?" Yep. Because Often depression comes out of internalized anger. Mm. Um, so I think I think it's a it's a very valid um, prognosis to say um, most of us will deal with either fear or shame, mm. and if we don't resolve it, if we don't find antidotes to it, um, then they will become other things, either mental illnesses or emotional and relational illnesses. Or violence. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, very good. So what do you think of some of the things? I mean, fear has <laughs> really come to the surface, hasn't it, in, in the mm. COVID situation, a lot of fears about all sorts of things, yes. depending on which perspective you're coming from and all that. But what do you think of some of the things that people feel most fearful about in today's culture? I, I, I think... Fear of non-acceptance. Mm. Um, if you look at the tremendous uh, emphasis that is placed on appearance mm. or on being right or being educated or uh, looking normal, um, there's a, there is a huge emphasis on, on that, which I think comes out of a fear of um, being either overlooked or rejected or dismissed. Mm. Um, and so we've gone overboard, for instance, with our children. We, we try, you know, every, every kid in the race gets a prize. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. And because we don't want any child feeling like they're a loser. Mm -hmm. And, and 
So we, we're not building that resilience in our community anymore. Mm. So we all feel that uh, we're entitled to something mm. and um, we're entitled to, to honor and we're entitled to respect, but we don't really have to work for it. Mm. And so when, when something threatens that, when something makes it difficult for me to win that, then, then that's a major issue for, for us. Mm. Uh, we met a, a young lady in a suburb we're in recently and she was begging uh, outside the shop and, and um, had a little sign, I'm homeless. And, and I was just deeply moved by, by some of the things she said that would, would indicate that, that her whole value was being predicated on the fact that she was homeless. Mm. Yep. And and she was also aware or felt she was aware that people who saw her there were judging mm. her, you know. Um which they probably were. Yeah. 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 That's what happens. So so yeah, I think we, we are afraid of that. We we're also afraid of um of uh being um uh, of, of being out of control. Mm. That if you notice during COVID, the big issue was the government are telling us what to do. Mm. Now, governments have been telling us what to do for a very long time. <laughs> In this countries you can't go into without vaccinations and all that sort of thing. Yep. But it just became this big, this big issue, mm. and and we were hearing all the time that uh, we're uh, being a, a more controlled society, mm. and all the rules and the laws that were being imposed upon. We we're terribly afraid of that. Yeah because we lose our identity or we mm. think we're going to lose our yeah, identity. freedoms was the yeah. word, wasn't it? Yeah. Losing our freedoms, yeah. Mm. I think it's really interesting when you talk about that need for acceptance and fear coming from I won't be accepted. And mm. I think we all feel that even when you go to post something on Facebook or mm. Twitter mm. that might be different to what everyone else is saying on there, just the anxiety that comes with putting that post there, knowing that, there's going to be a whole bunch of a barrage of stuff coming back the other way. Yeah. So I think even it's not even this the rejection in, you know, my my parents will reject me or my husband or wife will reject me or whatever. It's a stranger on behind a keyboard somewhere in another part of the world yeah. will reject me because I have this view. So yeah. you, you feel that anxiety coming up. I want to be accepted. Yes. And if I put something out that's controversial, I won't be. So I think social media has probably exemplified that. And then, you know, the comparisons, you know, how I look on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, I think fuels that fear that we have that will be rejected. Yeah. So yeah. it's an everyday occurrence, yeah. I think, for a lot of people. Then we have a lot of fear related to the things that are precious to us and important to us. Mm. So parents are very fearful about what's happening to their children mm. um, and have become very protective. Uh, um, I don't know how it was in your day, but, but when I was a child, um, Parents basically didn't interfere a great deal in your life at all, mm. other than the normal disciplines they applied, which were probably stronger than some current day ones. Yep. But but in terms of if you had a fight at school, mm. then you, your dad or mum never never got involved in that. They mm. never went to the school to find out what was happening. Um, in fact, I could have done with a little bit more protection than I got uh, <laughs> yeah. when yep. it came to my abuse. But yeah. But it was a very different view. Parents weren't afraid. They grew up in difficult society. We would grow up in difficult societies mm. and it would be okay. Mm. We would become like they have become, mature adults. But but we don't have that view now. We're very afraid. 
for mm. our children. And, and we're very afraid of our parenting, that people are going to disapprove of our parenting styles yep. or the way we feed our kids or it's just quite incredible. Yeah, they talk about helicopter parents, don't they? They're yeah. always hovering around and making sure everything's okay and, yeah. um, you know, uh, going up and saying, oh, my son needs to get a good mark on his test and yeah. he's had a hard time, so yeah. can you give him a good mark and all that sort of stuff. I think so, modern day parents are fantastic though. Yeah. And, and I just look at our grandkids with their kids now and, and I think, wow, they are such wonderful parents. But but I think they're, some of that is, is ang anxiousness, anxiety, mm. and they talk about yep. uh, parents today will talk about being anxious. Mm. I often think about parenting and how difficult it is these days. I mm. think, you know, when perhaps when you were young, even I was young, you know, the amount of influence my parents had was really significant. So mm. this is all the influence my parents had about this much influence, you know, yeah. and there's a few other people at school yeah. and whatever. But now I think kids are just constantly confronted with the social media and people's views on there and the billboards and, you know, it's just this constant. So the amount of influence that parents have I think mm. has been greatly reduced, mm. which I think would build, I don't know, has for me at times built anxiety as a parent that I'm actually not having as much influence mm. as my on my kids as I'd like to yeah. because there's all these other competing voices out mm. there. So, yeah, I can certainly understand that pressure for parents. And as a Christian counsellor, one of the things that, uh, that I became very aware of in the scriptures was that, that love and hate are not very often used as opposites, but love and anger, mm. uh, sorry, love and hate fear and yep. are used as opposites. Yes. So yep. perfect love casts out fear. Yep. That's interesting, isn't it? That, and one of the things I tried to do in the book was to show that um, the hatred was just a product byproduct of fear. Yeah. But but if you move away from that love connection with God that we were made for and created for in the first place, mm. then there is nowhere else to go but fear. Yeah. Yeah. Because because you are now sovereign in your life. Yep. You're now in control of your life and you know you can't you can't do all the things you need to do to protect yourself or to protect others yeah and so there is this fear yeah the security in god goes yeah. and it becomes security in yourself and yeah. you are all we're all acutely aware of our own weaknesses and limitations so yeah. it's not really security at all mm. because it could be here today and gone tomorrow mm. so i think yeah that that's a real challenge so at there's a great quote at the start of chapter five by john kenneth galbraith he said all the great leaders have had one characteristic in common it was the willingness to confront unequivocally the major anxiety of their people in the time in their time this and not much else is the essence of leadership i guess there's two parts to that leaders understanding what the fear of the people is so knowing their people well enough to go okay this is what they're fearful about and then having the courage to address it and so the first question is how do leaders discover what the people they lead are fearing the most hmm. well I, I i guess it's a very complex question but as a reasonably simple answer in the sense that it's just about hearing mm, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that's where it gets complex because again because we we have our own fears mm. as leaders mm. that it, that impacts what we hear mm. and it impacts how we judge whether what makes other people afraid valid or not mm. and uh, we say oh, you know you don't have to be afraid of that but that doesn't help, does it? No. Um, when you're a little boy and somebody said, and you told your dad you're afraid of the dark, yep. it didn't help when dad said, we well, don't have to be afraid of the dark. Yeah. <laughs> what helped was when dad said, well, I'm just next door, mm -hmm. just yell. That helped. And, and I think we've got to 
recognize people's fears as valid. Mm. Then we'll hear them honestly, and then we can have the sorts of conversations that people need to have. Mm. Mm. No, that's really good. So that was the first question. The second question is, leaders are not immune to those same fears. So how do leaders courageously lead others through fears that they may be feeling? Yes, yes. I I think addressing our own fears is important, like we said in one of the other sessions. It's so important to have... um, have a mentor or someone we're working with who, uh, to whom we can share those fears honestly. Mm. Um, I would imagine that in in modern day life, it's even it's difficult for anybody to share their fears with colleagues or with people they're in relationship with because part of that fear is that they're going to lose that relationship. Mm. And so having somebody who uh, you you um, you see in a professional sense who you've given permission to ask all the hard questions um, and, and to zero in on the difficulties is just so valuable, mm. I think. And, and so we, we have we do have fears, you know, and, that, and to one extent or another, uh, some of us have a fear of acceptance or rejection. Some have a fear relating to performance. Mm. Some have fears relating to uh, relating to um, uh, our own uh, capacities to do what we're called to do, and uh, we put tremendous pressure on ourselves because of those fears. Mm. But we also build can build walls around ourselves that then uh, keep other people away uh, because we don't want them to see how fearful we really are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, I, I I've been a pastor a long time, uh, and and I wish I knew that back in my twenties and thirties what what I have learned in the last forty or fifty years, and I think I that's impossible, isn't it? Because we have to learn. So my my advice is keep learning intentionally all the time. Mm. Um, and and keep developing, keep growing. Um, Julia and I used to run marriage enrichment uh, retreats for couples, and um, and we ran I think sixty or, or so, mm, or yeah. maybe more than that because I think we ran about uh, six a year um, for um, about sixteen years. So, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> uh, and uh, but but we would say to couples, you know. You don't come to these things because you've got a bad marriage. You come to these things because you've got a good marriage and want to be better. Mm. And and that's the same with this, that as leaders, we've just got to keep addressing our emotional and mental attitudes and our fears and our anxieties and, and finding answers to that. Some of those answers will lie in dealing with the past, but many of those answers will lie in our faith. Mm. and how we're how we're exercising our faith day by day. Mm. Absolutely, which might be the answer to the next question. It's because Sampa, in your story, beautiful village, it went from a great village to a dysfunctional one because of fear. So what was the antidote to that um, for them and how does that relate to us? So some there was a good ending to the story. There was an antidote. What was it? The antidote was um, a, a group of people who said Let's, we must return to, to that place where we uh, once again acknowledge that our lives are in the hands of the great creator. Yep. Um, you might have noticed it gets called the great creator in the book rather than God. Yep. But uh, but it was because I didn't want to raise 
theological discussions uh, so much as I wanted people to look at it in a more broad way. And and so the great creator was somebody who was responsible and who was trustworthy. And, and so they said, we, we've got to return to that. And the principles that come out of that, we've got to return to them, mm. like the value of individuals, the value of people, yep. the importance of children and, and the importance of, uh, of the stranger. And so that was what brought them back. Mm. To the, the the new valley and gave them the opportunity to to rebuild a new community. Mm. Yeah. yeah, wonderful. So, one of the important aspects of that throughout the story with the father mother figure, particularly, was the passing down of foundational stories from one generation to another, and that seemed to awaken, I guess, passion and vision to get back to what they they once mm. experienced. So, how do you think the foundational stories of Scripture can help us to overcome fear and experience the life that God has for us? Oh, I think it's it's paramount, but I think we've got to start, got to keep learning how to read the scriptures um, as a conversation we're having with God. Mm. I I I think one of the dangers for pastors is that we we have been trained to think about the Bible in a in a theological sense, and we're worried about doing proper. Uh, exegesis of scripture and so on, and uh, we we just got to return back to the fact that that one of the ways God speaks to us is through His Word, mm. and and to be able to 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 read a story or a or a promise or a or a direction or a command as, as a health principle mm. that God is wanting to build into our lives, mm. and I think in one of my books I said we we've got to we've got to apply the principles that we preach, mm. not just preach them. Yep. They, they apply to us too. Uh, and many pastors would say, and I would, would have said too, that you can be so busy in your church that you're the one person in the church that probably doesn't spend as much time as he should <laughs> in the scriptures. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and listening to God and hearing him. So I think hearing God, I think the other thing is thinking more about um, being reflectors of of who God is, mm. rather than than uh, serving God is important, but being a reflector of Christ is really an important principle, mm. and you serve better out of that. Yeah. So if if I go into my workplace, um, and and my my thing is to be Christ in that workplace, then what he said about love and forgiveness and acceptance and trust uh, are going to be the big and important things to me. Mm. And people are going to experience that mm. from me. Yep. And I think that's what people in churches need to experience from their pastors as well, mm. that the men and women who've been given that responsibility of, of leadership are, are not just leaders but are reflectors. Mm. Of the heart of God. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think you can see people sometimes in church, they serve mm. and they're doing it because they say they want to be like Jesus, but they actually need credit for it all the time. Mm. And so when they don't get the credit, then they get grumpy about it. And it's like, well, if you're actually reflecting Christ, mm. he wasn't doing it for credit. Yeah. He didn't come to be served, but yeah. to serve yeah. and to give his life. So I think that whole reflecting the attitude of serving is really important too, because we're serving because we love God and we love other people, yeah. not because we want them to you know, appreciate us. It's nice when you appreciate it, but that's not the, the motivation no. of it. 
So that was one of the problems during COVID. Mm. One of the stresses that pastors um, felt was they weren't getting the feedback that they got every Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, and some of them identified that in that that feedback was really important to them, mm. uh, which of course speaks a little bit about those anxieties yeah. that we carry. But I wanted to say just, uh, we must be getting near the end, but yep. I, I just wanted to add that um, I, I'm a strong believer in the fact that God gives pastors in specific churches and specific wherever God has placed them a particular gift for that congregation. Mm. And uh, and I've seen that in so many pastors over the years. And, and my own experience of that was that when I was in a church that, most Sundays would have had 900 or 1,000 people there. God gave me a gift of knowing everybody's name. Mm. And every Sunday, I was an old-fashioned pastor. I'd stand at the door and, <laughs> yep. and I'd get to use everybody's name. Mm. Now, I don't believe that was a good memory for names because I don't really have a good memory for names. Mm. But I think God said, I want you to give this gift to your congregation. Mm. And and gifts can be simple things like warm smiles or or uh, uh, attentive listening or or words of encouragement. But for a pastor to discover what their gift is and treasure it and intentionally use it all the time mm. and value it and thank God for it is is one of the important things in leadership. Yeah, mm-hmm. rather than comparing yourself to everyone else and saying, oh, right. this gift, this gift, this gift, yes. You, yes. you actually start to appreciate, this is how God's wired me, and say, so, yes. can I use that gift to its greatest ability? And that's the yes. that's what we should be doing. So It doesn't have to be any of the things we might classify as spiritual gifts, mm-hmm. um, but but all gifts are spiritual, and, and I think it can be just practical things. Mm-hmm. Like we... we Buried a pastor years ago, and all the stories they told were about him fixing things. Mm. You know, going out to the rural properties and fixing sheds and yep. rebuilding toilets and doing a whole lot of stuff. He'd been a, a carpenter before he became a pastor, and Sounds familiar. That was yep. the gift he used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wow, oh, very good. So, one last question: uh, one John four eighteen. You have referred to this before, but it says, "There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love." So, how does the love of Christ and the good news of the gospel help us to overcome fear? I think, I think two things. One is that when I experience the love of God in my life, it settles the identity question Mm. Um, because it takes the emphasis of who I am to who God is and if he loves me, then I'm lovable and uh, and I I live in that love. So there's a a certain peace that comes out of knowing uh, that you are loved by God Mm. And a security, isn't there? Yes. You know, that yes. doesn't change. That's right. God's not, I'm not going to see God tomorrow. He's going to go, oh, actually, I'm not happy with you today. I don't yeah. love you anymore, you know. <laughs> so so I think ideally um, that the promise of being in love does mean that I don't have to be afraid. Mm. The second thing I think is that always in the Scripture, whenever love is used in the New Testament, the, the thing that is used alongside it is God loves me, I should love others. Mm-hmm. So it's a double-sided thing all the time. Yep. I think the experience of um, looking outward from yourself 
and loving other people uh, as Christ has loved us is a powerful, um, a powerful remedy mm. for anxiety mm. because it means that my whole focus in life has changed. Mm. It's not about what might happen tomorrow or what might happen to my kids or what it becomes, it becomes how can I most, um, how can I have integrity in this whole issue of of loving and being loved? And uh, I think that's a very powerful thing. Mm. And I would say to pastors, look, sometimes it is very difficult to love some people, mm. and and uh, people will test that love. And then it's uh, and it's not hard to love the people who obviously love you, but mm. not everybody in your congregation loves you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, and but to to learn how to love them as God's gift to mm. them is a very special um, remedy to anxiety. Yeah, and see, the only way we can do that is when it comes from that love that we first have from him. Yes. And when we understand that and we are secure in that, then it gives us the capacity to love. But yeah. when we're not secure in that, it's hard to love people without that security from yeah. the love of God. So I remember a few years ago, a number of years ago now, at a previous church, we had a like a, sort of like a soup kitchen thing running at, um, lunchtime a couple of days a week and there was one guy that was coming to the church and he was always anxious and he was always depressed and um, and he you know he said that he understood that God loved him and stuff like that so I said to him I want you to come down to our soup kitchen this week and I want you to serve other people from the love you have in Christ I want you to serve other people and it literally came back to me a couple of months ago and he said it literally changed his life that yeah his anxiety and his depression went because yeah. he found himself you know, feeling useful, using his gifts, being able to serve, and like you said before, reflect Jesus to those people that mm. he was now serving. Okay. So so I think that's a really good example of what you were just talking mm. about, that mm. it, it does drive out that fear, that perfect love. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think the, the, the only danger in, um, in, in having a, a loving heart is that loving hearts can be bruised. Mm. But... But they can't be broken mm. because because it, it doesn't depend on us. Mm. All the time we come back and say, um, "God, you went through much more than this in order to love me," and and so this is this is my my reflection of that. And uh, I I would say as somebody who um, has been a pastor a long time that my longevity. And my my excitement about ministry today at eighty two uh, is is because I know that I am merely a reflector. Mm. I don't have to be anything else. I don't have to be a great theologian. I don't have to be a great author. I don't have to be any of those things. I just have to be a reflector of God's what God has done for me. Yep. And um, the more I think about that, the less the less. Stress I have about life. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, I want to encourage you, Graham, and say that I think you are a great reflector. Yeah. We love you and we appreciate the person you are and the wisdom you have and your generosity to come and share that with so many people. So thanks for sharing today on fear. Um, hopefully it's been really helpful for people. I'm sure it has. And um, as they listen to it, I'm sure they'll be writing down notes and, and learning things about fear that maybe they hadn't thought of before. Mm. So so I really appreciate it. So and, a big, and that book, sorry, yeah. and that book you're talking about can be um, – or the same way. Yes, yeah. so at grahamcan.com, uh, When the Tiger Roars. It's a great book, beautifully written, and uh, yeah, it will teach you a lot about fear in the form of an allegory. So really encourage you to grab that 
grab the Confronting Conflict one as well at the same time and you'll have a couple of great books to, to read. So a uh, big thank you to you for watching today and um, hopefully you've learned something about fear today and we really appreciate you coming on and tuning into the As One Leadership podcast. We do this because we want to produce helpful content for you in whatever ministry area you're in or leadership area or work area that you're in. So we hope that you found it helpful. Um, you can find this at YouTube, As One Leadership podcast, or you can find it on any of you um, Apple Podcasts or any of those podcast platforms. So if you could like and subscribe and share it with anyone that you think would find this content helpful. There's someone that's struggling with fear now, then make sure you let them know, share it with them on social media, and hopefully they'll be blessed by it as well. Thanks for joining us. Look forward to sharing more content soon on the As One Leadership Podcast. Mm-hmm.